I told you this past Sunday that on January 22nd, something started happening here. It's not us. It's Him. Something's happening. And we want to praise Him. And I want to begin today by saying this to Him, to those who much is given, much is expected. So you need to understand that when God comes and begins a movement, much will be required of us. Church, do you understand that? To him who has given much, much is required. Keep that in your mind as we begin today. Today we're going to look at the life of a man who was a servant to a man of God named Elisha. Much of today's discussion will be about something that people struggle with, especially in the American culture. Masters and servants. Masters and servants. People in our culture don't like the idea of a master. People in our culture don't like the idea of a servant. But spiritually speaking, this is the requirement for those who are in the kingdom of Christ. He is the master. We are his servants. So in this story, we begin today with a servant of a man of God named Elisha. His name is Gehazi. We first find Gehazi in the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman. 2 Kings 4 verse 11. One day Elisha returned to Shunam and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, now here's when he appears. Elisha says to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. So he's actually speaking through Gehazi. Elisha is. Tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you for the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back in again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her, as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, and at that time the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha has said. So let's begin today with this thought. God has placed Gehazi next to an incredible man of God named Elisha. God has ordained these two men to travel and serve together. Elisha had received the cloak, the calling of God that was previously given to Elijah. And I know some people get confused about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is the one is one of the two people in the Old Testament that didn't experience a 
physical death. He never died a natural death. He and Enoch, Elijah and Enoch, experienced, they were called up to be with God. That's where we get the word rapture today. They were taken up, didn't die, to be with God. Today, I want to focus on Gehazi. But we must understand his calling before we can examine his life. We need to look at his successes and then his failures, and then we're going to look at us in this story. And we're going to put ourselves inside the story. So let's look at Elijah and Elisha together at the Jordan River, right before the Lord comes to pick up Elijah in the chariot of fire. And by the way, Elijah knows. He, he knows. Can you imagine knowing? Well, in just a few minutes, he's coming for me. And I won't have to die. He's just going to come and get me. Verse 9. When they came to the other side of the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. So he knows what's about to happen. So he offers Elisha a blessing. Tell me what I can do for you, Elisha, before the Lord comes to snatch me out of here. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Now, that's a pretty big request, isn't it? Give me, give me twice what you got, and I'll take your job. How's that? You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. In other words, if you get to watch, if God allows you to watch this rapture take place, you will get a double portion and you will be my replacement. But if you don't see the event happen, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. Can you imagine what that would look like? It drove between Elijah and Elisha, between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven, like, like a tornado. Horses of fire, chariots of fire on a tornado taken up. Elisha saw it. What's that tell you? He's going to get a double portion and he's going to be his replacement. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak. Don't read over that. This is important. Not only did seeing it confirm his calling, but now he's picking up the cloak. So when you watch all these left behind movies and there's clothes falling out of heaven, this actually happened in this rapture. His cloak actually falls. Elisha comes and picks up his cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. And then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. Now what's he got in his hand? He's got the cloak of Elijah, the garment of Elijah. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? 
Then the river divided and Elisha went across. The power had been transferred from Elijah to Elisha. A double portion, a double share of Elijah's spirit was given to Elisha. We need to understand that before we can understand the Gehazi. Because Gehazi is going to be the servant of Elisha. Elisha picked up the cloak of Elijah, the calling of Elijah, a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, with that background, let's go back to the Shunammite woman. Gehazi finds himself serving the double portion man of God, Elisha. And it looks like Gehazi is excellent in his role between the servant role and his master, Elisha. Now, let's get this straight. Elisha in this scene is the master who serves the master, okay? He has received a double portion from God, but he in this scene is the master of the servant Gehazi. The Shunammite woman has a son, just like was in the earlier scene. But the son becomes sick and the boy dies. Elisha sends Gehazi. Elisha and Gehazi are in a distant town when they get the news that the boy is dying and has died. So Elijah, Elisha sends Gehazi with his stick, his staff, to the woman's house to heal the dead child, thinking that the staff would be enough sufficient to make this child come back to life, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Elisha then comes and lays on top of the boy, face to face on top of the boy, and in that scene, the life comes out of Elisha and the boy awakens. He sneezes seven times and he comes back to life. In that story, Gehazi is a faithful servant. Listen carefully. Everything he was told to do, no matter how crazy it might have sounded, everything he was told to do, he did it. Take the stick, you go back to the house, do, even though it didn't work, he followed the instructions of his master, the double portion man of God, Elisha. Now, stop in the story and let me ask you the first series of questions. Knowing what you know so far about this story, would you like to work for Elisha? I'd be careful answering that real fast if I was you. Would you like to work for Elisha? Do you think it'd be a good job or a terrible job? Think deeply about that question for a moment. Elisha is the master. There's no doubt the roles here. Elisha is the master, which means he has this authority and Gehazi is a servant. He submits to the authority of his master. Neither one of them are complaining about the idea of equal rights here. They acknowledge that one is the master and the other is a servant to the master. This is important. Would you want to work? Would you want to be a servant under Elisha? Now, I've told you many times over the years, everything in the Old Testament reveals Jesus as Messiah. Eventually, everything reveals Jesus as the Messiah. So let's hold 
that Gehazi story in our mind, and let's jump over to Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and here's what we're going to do today. Jesus describes the significance of the master-servant relationship. Now, we're going to use Gehazi and Elisha in the Old Testament, but I want to show you, let's, let's pause, and I want to show you how Jesus describes the importance of masters and servants. Now, why, why am I doing this today? Because the American culture struggles with the concept of both words. Nobody wants to have a master over them, and nobody wants to be a servant to anyone. It's a me, me, me culture, which means I'm the master of me. I serve no one but me. So here comes Jesus in Luke 12, 42, and he's going to lay out the rules from the spiritual perspective and the physical regarding masters and servants. Here we go. And the Lord Jesus replied, a faithful, sensible servant. Now here's the servant is one to whom the master can give responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Now let's pause. Jesus is describing there are masters, there are servants. There are masters that give jobs to servants to take care of other servants. But ultimately, the master is still the master, right? Here we go. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Why is Jesus telling this story? Because it's true. There will be a reward for servants who serve the master well. Verse 44. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of more stuff, all that he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while. He begins beating the other servants, partying, getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he, you're going to be surprised that this comes out of Jesus' mouth. And he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. Now, how do you think Jesus feels about the master-servant relationship? It's important to be faithful as a servant to the master. Let's keep going. Verse 47. And a servant who knows what the master wants. A servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry those instructions, carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. So let, let, me, let me do this. So a servant that knows what the master wants, but refuses to prepare or to carry out what the master wants, will be severely punished. Are you with me? But someone who does not know what the master wants and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required 
in return. Who's the someone in the story? The servants. When there are servants that have been given much, much will be required of those servants. And when someone, other servants, has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So two questions. Using that standard of Jesus, masters and servants, let me ask you again, would you want to be a servant of Elisha? Much would be required to be a servant of such a holy man of God. Would you want to be? Now, maybe the bigger question is this. Using that same standard of Jesus, masters, and servants, do you want to be a servant of Jesus? What if much is required? Here's what he says. A servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. Do you want to be a servant to the master? Knowing that he just said that, you're going to be severely punished if you don't carry out what... If, if you can't just call him master, master, then have no intention of being his servant. You're going to be severely punished. Do you, do you, well, I don't know if I want that job. Do you? When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more is required. Do you want to be a servant of Christ? Okay, let's go back to the Gehazi, Elisha story. As of now, Gehazi's doing a great job serving the double portion man of God, Elisha. As of now in the story, you would say Elisha gets a A plus, right? He's doing, a, a, Gehazi's getting an A plus as a servant to Elisha. But Gehazi is mentioned in another story. And this one is not so favorable. Gehazi is a faithful servant to the double portion man of God, Elisha, in the story of the Shunammite woman. But what about the story of Naaman? Sometime after the resurrection of the boy, God makes a plan to reveal himself to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Because I'm going to show you later, this story I'm about to read affects every one of us in this room today. So sometime after Gehazi and Elisha uh, the boy is resurrected. He sneezes seven times. He comes back to life. God makes a plan to reveal himself to the Gentiles by healing a military commander of the kingdom of Aram, and his name is Naaman. Most of you know the story of Naaman and Elisha. If you've gone to church in your life, you've heard the story. The story goes something like this. Naaman is a military commander. He goes to Israel. He finds out there's a man of God. His name's Elisha. Elisha tells him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. He'll be clean. He dips seven times Jordan River. He gets clean. Gehazi's in the story. So I want you to notice something as we start into this story about masters and servants. Listen carefully. I want you to notice the saddlebags of Naaman's horses as he arrives at Elisha's house. And the servant Gehazi is there. Notice the saddlebags. 2 Kings 5.5 5. Go and visit the prophet, 
the king of Aram told Naaman. Naaman's got leprosy. I will send a letter of introduction for you, Naaman, to take to the king of Israel, who will then direct you to Elisha. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver. Let that number sink in for a moment. 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. That's a lot of money. Big money is approaching the house of Elisha and Gehazi is in the house. Big money. In fact, I, I, one of the neat things about uh, Siri on the iPhone is you can do something like this. Hey Siri, how much is uh, 100 and, uh, 750 pounds of silver worth today? And in her sweet little voice, she said to me, $224,000. That's a lot of money. And then I said, hey, Siri, how much is 150 pounds of gold worth today? And she said, $4 million. Now, I want you to understand that as Naaman approaches with his caravan of cash, it's equivalent today of about $4 million. And you've got Elisha and you've got Gehazi. In fact, Gehazi is the one who reveals the cure to Naaman's leprosy. The double portion man of God, Elisha, doesn't even come out on the porch to meet Naaman. He sends out Gehazi to give the news. Let's go to verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger. Here comes Gehazi. Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of leprosy. Gehazi, a servant of a master, reveals the cure of leprosy to this Gentile military commander. And eventually Naaman obeys the instructions of the double portion man of God, Elisha, and he is cured. Now, the story doesn't end there. In fact, let me say, for today's topic, this story is just getting started. Can you imagine the joy in Naaman's heart after being cured of this dreaded disease called leprosy? Remember, he's a Gentile. He is not Jewish. And all of those traveling with him are Gentiles. And I need for you to get this. God is revealing himself as God, the master of Elisha, the master of all masters, to a Gentile. Naaman goes back to Elisha's house. And what do you think? He's cured of this leprosy. He goes back to Elisha's house filled with gratitude. But this time, Elisha comes out to meet him personally. Verse 15, then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God, Elisha. They stood before him and Naaman said, now I know there is no God in all the world except Israel. Now listen, this was God's primary plan. That a Gentile from a foreign kingdom would come to know the God of Israel. Now I know. That there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. 
But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve. Now, this, it would be so easy to read over that sentence. As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve. You see, Elisha has no problem calling himself a servant. He has no problem acknowledging who the master is. He has no cultural problem that he's the master, I'm a servant. As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept your gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, the money, take some of this gold, take some of this silver, Elisha refused Elisha doesn't just say, no, thank you. He says, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept your gifts. That's a pretty definitive statement from a double portion man of God. No, 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 I will not take your money. Why? The gift of God, the healing of leprosy is not for sale. Understand something, this gift of God, God is revealing himself to a Gentile who's going to carry the knowledge of the God of Israel back to Aram. It is not for sale. And by the way, the double portion man of God is also not for sale. They are not for sale. Elisha is a servant under a master and both conditions are not for sale. Naaman and his caravan of cash leaves Elisha. And here comes what I call the Gehazi tragedy. The tragedy of two masters. It's about to take place. Verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. Do you notice these words? Servant, masters. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself. Uh-oh. If you're a servant of Elisha, why are you getting your instructions from you? He says to himself, now he has witnessed, Gehazi has witnessed Elisha say no to the money. No to the money. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master should not have let the Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. Who's the master now? Stay with me. Who just became master? Up till now, there was a master and a servant. But now the servant's the master. He says to himself, My master should not have let the Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives. He's even used, using Elisha language. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after Naaman and the cash caravan. And get something from him. As surely as the Lord lives, this is a terrible idea. It's called covetous greed. In our English, it would be called covetous greed. As surely as the Lord lives, this is a terrible idea. Gehazi didn't get this covetous greed from the double portion man of God, did he? Did Gehazi get this from his master? No, he did not. Gehazi got this covetous greed from the adversary of the double portion man of God. The spirit war is real. 
There's something inside of us that fights this battle. This battle, what is the battle? Who is the master and who is the servant? Who is the master? Who is the servant? Gehazi. He has been given the privilege and honor of watching God supernaturally heal the child of the Shunammite woman. And now he's been given the pleasure and honor of watching Naaman come out of the water that seventh time, white as snow, cured of leprosy. What a privilege to witness these two events. Isn't that enough payment? Isn't that enough payment to see God's will done upon the earth? Isn't that enough payment for you? To sit in the presence of a double portion man of God and watch the miracles freely given. Freely given miracles. Jews, Gentiles, freely given. Isn't that enough? Do you remember those two questions I asked you earlier? Two questions using the standard of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Let me ask them again. Knowing what you know right now, let me ask you again. Would you want to be a servant of Elisha? To see the miracles. To see God move. Would it be enough for you? To see God move. Using the standard of Jesus... Let's get to the real point today. Not about Elisha, not about Gehazi. Using the standard of Jesus, do you want to be a servant of the master named Jesus? To see the miracles? To see God move? I started today showing you that video. And I asked you this question, church. Do you think it's a small thing to watch God move? Do you think it's a small thing? We look at the miracle of the Shunammite woman and that boy that died and he got brought back to life. And you think, wow, if that stuff happened today, do you understand that everyone who has been born again has been resurrected from the dead already? Do you understand that he's doing that miracle now on a broader scale than a singular Shunammite woman's son. That anyone who has been born again has experienced the resurrection. Remember what Jesus said in the funeral scene? I am the resurrection and the life and whoever believes in me will live even if he does. And whoever lives and believes in me will never, 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 never die. Do you think it's a small thing? Do you think it's a small thing? We're watching God move even now. We're watching him move. And do you think it's a small thing that you and I have been given the opportunity to be a witness of that today? So here we go. Here's what Jesus says. And a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. Some of y'all are not going to like this next part. Do you want to be a servant of Christ? I've asked you like four times. Do you want to be a servant of Christ? But it would be fair for you to understand. Here's what the master says to his servants. A servant who knows what the master wants. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You know where I'm going? 
But a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. Do you want to be a servant of this master? Here's what else he says. When someone has been given much, and and I need to say, when I read that sentence, I think of the American church. That's exactly what comes into my mind. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Do you think it's a small thing when God moves around you? When people start being quickened by the Spirit and they turn from the darkness into the light? Do you think it's a small thing? So using that criteria that I just read, do you still want to be a servant of this master named Jesus? Are are you sure? So let's go back to Gehazi. I'm going to show you something. Gehazi has a conflict. He can't serve two masters. That's why I call it the Gehazi tragedy. He can't serve two masters. And I'm going to tell you today, you can't either. You think you can. He thought he could, but you can't. You can't do it. Jesus warned us about this two masters trap. Two masters trap. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters. No one. You can't do it. For why? For you will hate one and love the other. Can't I serve both masters equally? No. You can't. Because you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you think this is just about money, you're still not getting it. You're still not understanding. It's not as much about the money as it is about the master. Which voice will you listen to in that moment? Gehazi said to himself, well, that conflicted with what his master had already said. No money. But Gehazi says to himself, he became the master. You can't serve both of them. So let's go back to Gehazi. He chases down Naaman's cash caravan. He's chasing another master. Listen, he's chasing another master. You can't serve both. He's chasing another master, and it's not Naaman, and it's not Elisha. You know what it is? Self. He's chasing self. He's chasing self. Self has become the master. And when self becomes the master, you are nobody's servant except the other master. We'll talk about him in a minute. 2 Kings 5.21. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. Yeehaw, there's cash in that caravan When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, running, running, right? He's running. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. He climbed down. Naaman climbed down from his chariot and went to meet Gehazi. Is everything all right? Naaman asked. Yes, Gehazi said. But my master, liar, 
But my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. And he, my master, Elisha, liar, he would like 75 pounds of silver, liar, and two sets of clothing to give to them, liar. And by all means, here comes Naaman. Naaman's still on the mountaintop, right? I'll give you everything because you gave me life. Take it all. By all means, take twice as much silver, Naaman insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money in two bags. And listen, this is important. He even sends help with Gehazi because maybe somebody will rob the guy back to, going back to the house. He's, he sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. I'll even have somebody help carry it. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and he sent the men back. He told those guys, y'all going back. Why? Because y'all uncover my deed if I let you hang out here. So he sends the people back to Naaman and then he went and hid the gifts inside his house. Covetous greed. Self. Self. Self has come upon Gehazi, and now he's a liar too. Naaman freely gives this money to Gehazi because he's rejoicing over his own healing. Naaman even sends back servants to help and protect him on the way, and then Gehazi attempts to hide his covetous grief, greed, from the double-portioned man of God. Now, I'm, I want you to listen carefully because here's the, here's the big point today. He tries to hide the money that he took from the double portion man of God. What about that sentence doesn't make any sense? Can you hide this from a double portion man of God? Maybe a single portion man of God. Can you hide this from a double portion man of God? Do you think that's a good idea, trying to hide your covetous grief from a double portion man of God? How do you think that's going to turn out? How do you think that's going to turn out? Before you answer the question, three different statements for Jesus. Before you look down your nose at Gehazi today, three statements of Jesus. Three for the church, in the church age, to the Gentiles. Number one, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot do it. You cannot serve God in money. Churches are filled with people that think you can do it. You can't. Number two, and a servant who knows what the master wants and isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions is going to be severely punished. No, he wouldn't do that. He, he, he wouldn't do that. Not my Jesus. That's Jesus who said that. Number three, when someone has been given much, American church, listen. Nineveh church, listen. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more was going to be required. Gehazi tried to hide the money, but he, he's standing next to a double portion man of God. Verse 25. When he went into his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere. 
When my kids tell me they haven't been anywhere, I know they've been somewhere bad. Because you can't not be anywhere. I haven't been anywhere, he replied. But Elisha asked him, don't you realize? This is why I wrote the sermon. When I read this sentence, I wrote this sermon. Elisha, the double portion man of God, looks at this servant. The master, listen, church, the master looks at the servant and says this. Don't you realize I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? I was there. Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves, vineyards, sheep, cattle, male, female servants? Because you have done this, Gehazi, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. Whoa. And when Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was as white as snow. Listen very carefully, church. Gehazi received the curse that the Gentile Naaman was cured from. The curse was transferred from Naaman to Gehazi, from a Gentile to a Jew. Leprosy. Not only Gehazi, listen, but his children and his children's children were cursed because he had refused to bow to his master. That which was washed away from Naaman was applied to Gehazi. And I tell you today, I'm still moved and struck by this simple statement of Elisha to Gehazi. Verse 26, let me read it again. But Elisha asked Gehazi, don't you realize I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Church, I declare to you today, there is one greater than Elisha here in spirit today, right now. He knows. He knows. Right now, this moment, he knows. He knows what you think about masters and servants. He's here right now, and he knows. You can play all kinds of games you want, and you can fake out everybody in your circle, but you will not fake out him. Gehazi had this idea as a servant, he could serve himself and no one would know. And this man of God, double portion man of God said what? I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down to look at you. I know. The same, the, the spirit of Christ is here today. The Spirit of Christ, do you understand? The Spirit of God is in this room today. He is searching out your heart. He knows who you are, not who you pretend to be. He knows who you are. He knows if you're the servant and he's the master or whether you're the servant and the master in one person. You serve yourself. He knows. He knows. In fact, all of us are amazed by the idea that God would give Elisha a double portion of Elijah's spirit. 
it is a pretty amazing event. I agree. But you need to understand that the one that's in this room right now, right now, this moment, has the spirit without limit. He has the spirit, not a double portion of Elijah. No, no, no. He has the spirit without limit. He has infinity. Now, why do I say that? This next scripture is how John the Baptist describes Jesus. And before I read it to you, do you understand that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah? The one who comes in the spirit of Elijah does this to describe Jesus. Here we go. And by the way, he's here right now. Verse 34, John 3. For he is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him, Jesus, the spirit without limit. Forget the double portion. He is the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. Church, listen. Do you understand? He is the master. Everything is in his hands. All power, all dominion, all authority has been given to him by the Father. He is the master of everything. And either you will submit to this master or consequences will be associated with your life. He is the master. Understand, the Father loves his Son. He has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. I say hallelujah. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son. You see the contrast. Anyone who believes and calls upon Him as Master. The word Master means Lord. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. But anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life. But you remain under God's angry judgment. Now here comes the rest of the story. That Gehazi story, it happened about 900 years before Jesus came to the earth in the flesh. 900 years before a man who had the spirit without limit would come to the earth. 900 years before one so much greater than Elisha was going to come. Jesus, he is the master now. Do you know that Jesus brings up the Elisha Naaman story in his teaching in the same gospel of Luke? What a coincidence. No, not a coincidence. In Luke 4.27, Jesus says this. And there were many lepers in Israel. Now listen, church. Let me tell you what that means. There were many Jews suffering from leprosy. You with me? There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian, a Gentile. Why? Why does Jesus bring up this in that context? Why? Are you ready? I wonder how many of you are going to get it. But I got to tell you, the time of the Gentiles. Naaman was a preview of the church age. He is a shadow of the church age when the Spirit of Jesus would come to the Gentiles and offer them a healing. 
Do you understand that on the day of Pentecost, something happened? God took his attention. Uh, Israel was kind of pushed on pause, and God turns his attention to the Gentiles of the earth. Go into all the world now and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into all the world and offer them healing. Not a healing from leprosy. No, no, no. But a healing from sin and death. A healing of death and the gift of eternal life. And what is the message of Jesus to the Gentiles in the church age? There were many lepers. But he goes to a, to a Gentile and he offers him healing. And, and the church age is the time of the Gentiles. You are living in the church age, the time of the Gentiles. It's been 2,000 years now that one day he said the door will close and the last Gentile will come in. My personal opinion is that day is very soon when the last Gentile will come. And what is the message of the church in the time of the Gentiles? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, and you'll be devoted to one, and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. No matter who tells you you can, you can't. It's the message of Jesus in the church age. Number two, and a servant who knows what the master wants... And a servant who knows what the master wants. Church, awaken. A servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. No, he won't. Gehazi. Number three. And when someone, American church, has been given so much much is going to be required in return. And when someone's been entrusted with much, even more is going to be required. Gehazi lived in the shadow of a double portion man of God. And because of that, you know what? Much was expected from Gehazi. Is anybody listening? Gehazi lived in the shadow of Elisha, a man that had an extra measure, double Elijah spirit. And because of that, you, there's much, God expected a lot from Gehazi. You and I, listen church, we live in the shadow of the one who has the spirit without limit. We live in the shadow of God in the flesh. And because of that, much is expected from the Gentile church today. And I look at Nineveh and what God has done here in the last 20 years, and I'm telling you, much is expected from us. To him who has been given much, much is expected. You and I live in the shadow of Christ. This next verse should shake and convict everyone in here because it shakes and convicts me. I've read it twice. I'm going to read it again. Verse 26. Elisha asked him, Gehazi, didn't you realize? Don't you realize I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from the chariot to meet you? Today, I declare again, there is one much, much, much greater than Elisha here now. You can't hide from him. He knows who we really are. 
He knows about masters, and he knows about servants, and he knows about which one you are. He knows. I lived a whole lot of my young life in the church. I was raised in the church, and I can see something on this side I couldn't see on that side. I believed since I was a child that Jesus was the Savior of the world. I believed since I was a child that the Bible was the Word of God. I have never struggled with that, never. But there was something missing. You see, I had this idea that Jesus would save me and I was going to need a Savior one day. So claiming Jesus as Savior was never a problem for me. came early in my life. I know I'm going to one day need a Savior. Jesus, would you be my Savior? And I lived a lot of my life until 1988 that Jesus was my Savior, not understanding what the word Lord means. The word Lord means Master. And I was in a room in August of 1988, and God opened my eyes. And you know what he showed me that night in that church? That I was Gehazi. I was my own master. I wanted Jesus as Savior, but the master of me was me. I had not yielded my life into his hands. I had not surrendered myself into his hands. And that night he showed me so clear. He showed me so clear that you are deceived, young man. You want a Savior, but to have a Savior, you must have a Lord. You must have a master. And for you to have a master, you must become my servant. And that means from this day forward, you must serve me and only me. My life changed. I saw what I could not see before. You can't hide it from him. Right now in this room, he's saying the same thing to some of you. He said to me, you want a master? Great. Then become a servant to him. You want a savior? You want a master? He's the same person. But you must serve him. The whole concept of worshiping is to serve. And you can't hide. He knows who we are. Luke 8, 17. For all that is secret will one day be brought out into the open. You remember Gehazi thought he could fake out Elisha? And he only had a double portion. You and I are standing in front of one who has a spirit without limit. He says, Jesus says, for all that is secret will eventually be brought out into the open. Everything that is concealed will be brought into the light and made known to all. So pay attention to how you hear church today, right now. Pay attention to how you hear to those who listen to my teaching. I'm going to hold it up. Those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening... Even what they have, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. You will be left with nothing. You can't serve two masters. It won't work. Do you think God was harsh? Do you think God was harsh with Gehazi, giving him leprosy for taking a little gold, telling a little lie? Be honest. Some of you read the story and you think, that doesn't sound fair. 
Gehazi defied his master's words. He defied his master's words. And some of you, you don't even have a concept of what that means. And I'm telling you today, one much greater than Elisha has come and he has given you his words. He has given you his words. And you want to call him master, but you deny every word he spoke about becoming a servant. You cannot serve two masters. And here's the grand finale today. Satan is the other master. Don't fall for it. The idea of serving self is just another camouflage of serving Satan. Because the concept of serving self came from Satan. And when you live a life that serves you, you serve him and deny Christ. You know how I know that? Here's the last scripture. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. The Spirit without limit comes upon this man. He is taken immediately out into the Judean wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And Satan offers him what? Listen, verse 8. Next, the devil took him, Jesus, to the peak of a very high mountain and showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world, shows him all the glory, everything that was in that saddlebags of Naaman, shows it all, all of it could be yours. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Jesus, if you will let me be the master, I will give you all of it. But you must be the servant, Jesus, and I must be the master. And what did Jesus say? Get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. We started with the video this morning. 21 people have been baptized so far this year. I don't even know how many people. We baptized one in the first service this morning. Numerous people are coming confessing their sins in front of God. Coming to the altar and asking God for mercy and grace. Do you think it's a casual thing when God begins to move around you? Now, what does he expect from you? What is your response to this move of God? What is your response? Are you a servant of the Most High God? Are you serving him? Be honest, the last month, the last six months of your life, are you serving self or are you serving God? What's the purpose of your life? Who are you serving? Everybody wants a savior, but the reality is very few want a master. The idea of master means this, listen, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself or you're going to die. You must deny yourself. Take up the cross. That's the, that's the calling. And you must follow this master. If you don't, you're going to die. And the grave will swallow you and it will never ever let you go. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it sounds hard. And it is hard. Faith is hard. Count the cost. It's hard. But every, it's the only way that leads to life. Without him, you're going to die. 
So we're going to sing a song in a moment. And the song's called Surrender. And I think maybe this is one of, for many of you, this is your moment. This is your, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that he revealed to you what he revealed to me. You want a savior? Okay, good for you. Then make him your Lord and your master. Bow down to him. Surrender your life from this day forward. I will walk with you. I will follow you. No matter how crazy it sounds, no matter what you ask me to do, I will follow you for you alone are the words of life. And if I abandon you, I abandon life itself. Father in heaven, awaken your bride. Awaken your bride. Redeem us. Save us. In Jesus' name. And amen. Let's stand.